You know when you plan things out and they just don't turn out as you had planned? See, when I was a child, when I was just a really little kid, my mother began the process of brainwashing me to believe that I was going to be a doctor, probably just like any other Chinese boy of my generation. And, you know, I, I planned for that, and obviously that didn't turn out. And then in college, I planned to be rich, and obviously that didn't turn out. And I was planning to take a sabbatical this summer. That is not turning out. And so I raise all these types of questions because in planning my sermons, I actually plan out what I'm going to preach on, teach on for the next two, three years. And I do it prayerfully and talking to people and what I sense is happening in our church, in our church community, and how I sense God is leading me to preach and to teach. And so I planned out the book of Ruth to be actually twice as long as I had spent. I just did five and I actually planned it for longer and I was planning on preaching one of Paul's short letters before I left on paternity leave this summer and it's not turning out. So a couple of months ago I was really stirred about what to preach and teach next and so I was actually moved to change what I had planned all these two three years and I actually start reading a lot for those subject matters now. And so as I'm thinking about these things, I'm getting really nervous because I don't want to change kind of what I've already been prepping for. But it actually got me to thinking, who was moving me? So that who is the Holy Spirit. And so I've been led to preach, teach a series on the Holy Spirit with the hope of deepening our knowledge and our understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit so that we have a richer, a fuller, a deeper relationship with him. So for the next few months before I go on paternity leave and take vacation time to be with my family, I'm going to attempt to present the splendor, the beauty, the glory of the Holy Spirit. To know his love, his grace, his power, his gifts, so that in your life you may yield your life fully to him, you may come to experience the Holy Spirit fully in him, and I hope that we as a church and that each one of us individually will come to experience the glory of the person of the Holy Spirit more fully. And I ask that you bear with me, because our production staff and our staff and our worship leaders and everyone's asking me, what are the scripture verses, because we need to print bulletins and we need to plan our worship songs and all this other stuff, and... I haven't been able to give it to them because I don't know. I usually have months to prep, and this was just pretty recent. So I'm busy prepping. So I can definitely use your prayers. And so let's start off with one. Father, thank you so much for leaving us the comforter, the helper, the paraclete. And so I ask, Lord, that you would bless our time as we study one of the Godhead, one of the beings of the triune God. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we do this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to start off with this series, I think it's important to identify the Holy Spirit as a person. Because if we identify him as an essence or just a spirit or a force or a wind or a power, it's really challenging to nurture a relationship with those types of impersonal things. And you can get a reaction from things such as electricity, but it won't have feelings for you. 
You can feel the breeze from the wind, but it won't change its temperature based on whether you feel warm or you feel cold. It's just going to blow, right? We need to personify the Holy Spirit so that in our time of need, He is someone that we can call upon, not simply because He exists as a power or a force, but because He knows and cares for us individually and can address our specific needs. So He was sent by the Father at the request of Jesus to come alongside you and help you. And so for our text this morning, we're going to kind of use this as our text this morning. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and let me read this for us. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You notice the Trinity in these verses here. Jesus said, I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now we're talking about the third person of the Trinity in our series. And we're going to cover a little bit more about that next week. Where we'll talk about the Trinity next week. It'll be more of a heady study. But the focus of this series is on the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to focus our message, today's message, on who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit Again, it's not an essence. He's not a power. He's not a force. We just finished studying the Gospel of Luke not too long ago. And yes, Luke had the force. But the Holy Spirit is more than the force. The Holy Spirit has personality. In a minute, we're going to read in the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit, He has a will, He has intelligence, and He has emotions. And notice that the Holy Spirit is not an it we don't give him the impersonal pronoun of it, right? We use it as a pronoun to identify essence, power, or a force, but not so with the Holy Spirit. In looking at the scriptures, we read that there are personal pronouns used to identify the Holy Spirit. So you look at John chapter 14, verse 17, and there, him is used three times for the Holy Spirit, and he is also used. And let's look at John chapter 16. I'll read verses 7 through 14. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you notice all the personal pronouns there? He, 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 right? It's all there, all in reference to the person of the Holy Spirit. Now let's take a look at the will of the Holy Spirit. And to find that, you'll take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. And it reads this. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And now regarding the intelligence of the Holy Spirit, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of men imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Lastly, let's look at the emotions of the Holy Spirit. And to find that, we look at Romans chapter 15, verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Love. Right? So you also see Paul's reference to the Trinity here in Romans. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Again, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity next week. Now, another verse in regards to emotions of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. It's going to be a lot of cross-referencing this morning. You're going to have tired fingers. But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. See, impersonal things can't love and they can't be grieved. The Holy Spirit loves and can be grieved. A force, an essence, a power doesn't have personhood and can't experience emotions like this. It can't exercise will, it can't feel emotion, it can't practice intelligence, but the Holy Spirit processes all three. And with his will, his intelligence, and emotions, the Holy Spirit acts. He doesn't just exist, he acts. There is a corresponding action. He does stuff. And so I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit does, starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation. Now don't worry, we're just going to be here for a few hours. So, but really, I'm going to go from Genesis to Revelation. I'll be as fast as I can. A lot of cross-references. The Holy Spirit abides, meaning He contends, He pleads with man. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, which means he is abiding now. The Holy Spirit instructs. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 20. You gave your spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water to their thirst. You see how fast we're just flying through this? We just went from Genesis to the 16th book of the Bible, so don't worry. Next one's the Gospel of John. Right? Don't worry. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit bears witness. Meaning he gives evidence. He gives testimony. He testifies. John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. Again, you hear the Trinity here. But when the Helper comes from whom I, Jesus, will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And here the Trinity is actually referenced twice in that one verse. Moving on to Acts, the Holy Spirit guides, He directs. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. 
And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. See how he guides and he directs. The Holy Spirit helps and he intercedes. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit has power to fulfill the ministry of the gospel. Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, Illyricum, I'm getting older, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. We're almost done. The Holy Spirit fellowships, communes. He has a huge job description. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and all. And so you see here the Trinity again. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Lastly, the Holy Spirit speaks. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, still, the Spirit speaks. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. And lastly, here's our Revelation verse because we're going from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit is active throughout the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit is personal, it is active, it is dynamic, and we've run through the actions of the Holy Spirit here and what He does, and since there is a relationship between the Holy Spirit and us, there are corresponding actions that we do and that we don't do in relating to the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship. So how one acts and corresponds toward the Holy Spirit, how can we treat the Holy Spirit? Well, we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. We can lie to the Holy Spirit. Peter said in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, in speaking to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? We can resist the Holy Spirit. Stephen said in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I use all these cross-references here to show you how active He is in the church. He's not just like one 
kind of verse that was spoken of here, and so let's forget about it here. This is peppered throughout the scripture. He has a will, he has intelligence, emotions, and we can have a relationship with him. He can be known as we are known to him, and we can develop an intimacy, an intimate connectedness with him. We can have deep communion with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14, verse 16, he is referred to as the helper, the paraclete, the paracletus. He told us he will ask the Father, he'll pray for us to give us another helper because he was the initial helper. So another helper, another comforter, another advocate. And the paracletus means the one who is summoned, the one who is called to one's side, to call to one's aid. Now keep in mind so far, up to John chapter 14, it's been Jesus. Jesus has been their comforter. He's been their helper. He's been their advocate who's been at their side. And in John chapter 14, he came to the point of letting them know, I'm going away now. And Jesus told them in John chapter 13, verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. And the disciples grew to trust in Jesus. And they grew in their belief that Jesus was the master of everything. And whenever they found themselves in a bind, there was no one better to have than Jesus. And when Jesus was there, everything would just turn out just fine. And they got to experience this many times. The scribes and the Pharisees, they try to corner the, the disciples and, and Jesus with their intellect. And they start trying to use the law to pin Jesus in a corner. And every time they try to trap Jesus, Jesus would outsmart them. He would give them the answers that they would not expect. So, you want a guy on your academic decathlon team? Jesus. Right? The phone a friend? Like, if you phone a friend? Jesus. There's a lot of you Cal people. You were probably that guy or that girl in your class where people wanted to sit by you so that they can peek over to your answers. This is Jesus. Jesus is that guy who knew all the answers. Right? Because Jesus, Jesus, this woman right here, she was caught in the act of adultery. The law instructs us to stone her to death. What do you say? He just starts writing on the floor, and these all start going away. Jesus, with all these Roman soldiers around here and these people that hate to pay taxes, but these Roman soldiers enforce taxes, should we pay taxes? We got them, guys. We got them. If he says no, He's going to be arrested. If he says, yes, we should pay taxes, these people are going to get mad. And then he's not going to have a following. We got him. Give me one of those coins. Whose face is on this? Caesar? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Ah! Drats! You know, whatever. You know, tax season just ended, and maybe some of you could use Jesus' help right now, too. So, <laughs> Always trying to stump Jesus, but they can't. In the middle of a storm, Jesus sleeping on the boat, and they thought they were going to die, so they go to Jesus for help, and he comes up, oh, ye of little faith. Shh. Storm's calmed. Over and over and over again, Jesus just coming through in a bind. He's always there pulling through for them, and they found that as long as we're with this guy, we're fine. Stick with this guy. Crazy demoniac dude. Jesus, help me, the beating us up. He's cool. And when he's told that he's going to leave now, what? What? 
It's kind of like the 18-year-old kid when you're like, time for you to leave the house. What? <laughs> now it's more like 28 more than 18. But <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And so for them, they're going to be wondering, who's going to exercise the demon out of the super-possessed guy? Like when he starts beating up on us, who's going to raise dead people? Who's going to feed thousands of people with a little boy's happy meal? Who's going to do all this stuff? Who's going to answer the tough questions from those meanies over there, those meanie church people that try to trap us in doing different things? And so these guys were really troubled and afraid of the idea of not having Jesus around anymore because it was Jesus who bailed them out. Jesus is the one who helped them out of those really challenging and difficult times. And so Jesus told them in John chapter 14, verses 26 through 27, But the Helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so he told them, not to let their hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why did he tell them that? Because they were. They were. That's why he had to tell them that. Because if they weren't, he wouldn't have to say that. And so life without Jesus physically there, it really freaked them out. But Jesus already told them what was going to happen. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus proved that whatever he said would come true. Right? His promises can't be broken, and he told them that he was going to pray for them. He'd ask the Father, and he will give another helper, another comforter, another advocate, another person to come along one side to help them. Now, Jesus was that first helper, and he was going to ask the Father for another helper. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. To have a relationship with him, and he'll come alongside you and help you in all of life's situations. All your needs, all your challenges, whatever you're going through. Just as Jesus was with his followers and he took care of everything that was thrown their way, the Holy Spirit will be with us and take care of everything thrown our way. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to experience hardship. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience pain or suffering. Because if you look at the disciples, all of them experienced a martyr's death except for John. And it's not because they didn't try to kill him. They tried to put the guy like a fried chicken recipe. And he lived. And then he got sent off to the island of Patmos to live his last dying years out there. And where he penned the book of Revelation. So it's not that they didn't try. They all experienced pain, hardship, and suffering. Having a relationship with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're going to live pain-free, hardship-free, or suffering-free. What it does mean is that the Holy Spirit is there to help you through those things. To come alongside you as you experience those things. And it's vital that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and to know Him in His fullness so that we experience the comfort and the help and the strength that comes from Him, which is something that we all need. 
I pray for God to give us a deeper knowledge and understanding of the Holy Spirit. I hope we develop a hunger and a thirst for the Holy Spirit, that our relationship with Him becomes more intimate and our lives are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of us that we become dependent on him for guidance and for help, for comfort and power. And may we get closer to him as he influences us to become more like Jesus. Now keep in mind that not everyone's experience with the Holy Spirit is the same. So don't compare yourself with what others experience. That'll be really frustrating, right? It's the same with working out. Some people are built differently, they have different metabolisms and all this sorts of stuff, and if you compare yourself to the next guy, you're going to get really frustrated. Same thing here. Don't compare yourself. We're all different, so we all have different responses. We all have different feelings in our relationships with the Holy Spirit, and some of you are going to have similar experiences, but some of you will have totally different ones. Just know that the Holy Spirit is sovereign in the way that he relates to us and the way that he gifts things to us, and we can't predict the responses and the feelings there. Just as we can't predict the responses and the feelings of anyone else's marriage relationship or friendship. You can't predict that out of people. So we can't predict this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so even take baptism as an example. The baptism experience. Different people experience different feelings after baptism. Some come out and they feel totally different. And they just totally transform. They don't know what happened. And others, nothing. No feeling at all. They just got wet. And they're out. And they're like, okay. That does not negate the baptism. Right? Because it's not all about feeling. So don't judge the feelings associated with the Holy Spirit in one way or in another because it's about the truth of the Holy Spirit and how he comes alongside us, that he desires to have a relationship with us. And sometimes we recognize he is working right away and other times we don't recognize it until well into the future and we look back in retrospect and say, wow, how did that happen? Right? But we know he's working in our life as we are ruled by the Spirit, not by the flesh, and may we be led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit. Now, you don't have to wait until this series is done to experience the Holy Spirit. You can pray for that right now. You can surrender yourself to him, yield your life to him right now. And if you want to read more about the Holy Spirit in the lives of other people, it's a really encouraging thing. There's some really great biographies out there about Jonathan Edwards, D.L. Moody, uh, Charles Finney, and you can read all these wonderful books about the baptism of the Holy Spirit into these people's lives. What's led me to this point? We are in need of a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. We can do a lot in our flesh because we have some really talented people. We have some resources. We have some really bright people. And we can even make an impact in our community in terms of the refugee community and the crime and the education and the homeless and all these sorts of things. But that's so linear. right? You and I put in this sort of effort and we can kind of predict what we're going to get. How about the supernatural? Where people look at what's happening and say, how in the world did that happen? Where we can say, God. It wasn't us. 
And so unfortunately, the church in America is looking more towards methodologies, is looking more towards programs. But if we look at the history of the church, it is not the methodologies, it is not the programs that transform the lives of people. It's not. You can't point to me a single one. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in his people. You look at the first or the second great awakenings in the world, and you look at what's happening spiritually today in the Western world compared to Africa, Asia, South America, where the Holy Spirit is moving rampantly. The Western church, particularly in America, is guilty of looking at itself to do the work of God. We're looking for the next fads. We're looking at the next books. We're looking at the next gimmicks. We're looking at the next methodologies. We're looking at the world. That's why Christian t-shirts aren't usually that good. Because we're like way behind. Like if we had Christian pants, we'd be like doing bell bottoms right now or something. (laughs) What happened to the church's heart and mind in intently praying for the Holy Spirit to do the work and to transform lives instead of relying on ourselves to come up with the methodologies and programs and all these different things that we're trying to do to make impact on the world when the world actually does things better. Is there a food service that's in Alameda County that's larger than the Alameda County Food Bank? Or in serving the homeless community? Like, do we do better than the county does? Serving the refugee community? Do the Christians actually do it better than IRC or these other refugee-serving communities? And yet we're just trying to mimic all that they're doing. And it's just like poor copies of those types of things. I think we fail on purpose. I think God doesn't let us succeed. I think God is saying, like, without me, no, that's not going to fly. We are to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, to tap into submitting our life to God, and I'm praying for this fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in each one of us and in our church. A renewal of the Spirit for us individually and for our church. Why? Because we desperately need it. Oakland is the third most dangerous city in the United States. Third. That's crazy. And we live here. And we go to church here, and we send our kids to school here, and we shop here, and we do all these things here in the third most dangerous city in the U.S. That's why you go talk to anyone on the peninsula or anyone in North County or anyone in San Francisco and you tell them where they live. Oh, we live in Oakland. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, how can you live there? Oh, you know, if we were in public, I'd show you all my bullet wounds. Like, I... I get one every day. <laughs> Power of the Holy Spirit, I'm alive. You know, like, you know, and there's, uh, there's all these misconceptions about Oakland and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? How many of us walk these streets freely and we do things freely? We're fine. But the truth of the matter is, it's not fine. The statistics don't prove. You and I are probably not shot just because God has preserved us. I hang out in East Oakland a lot and I'm just fortunate, you know. My kids are in a school in Oakland, you know. Just fortunate. So let's pray for that deeply needed transformation starting in our city. Really, our whole world needs it. Let's see if we can make an impact right here in Oakland first. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for promising us another helper, another comforter, another advocate. May we not waste the understanding, the experience, the relationship that we may have with you, Holy Spirit. 
I pray that you would fill us so that we would go about doing your work, that we would make an impact in your name, not for the glory of the church, not for the glory of ourselves, for your glory alone, God. In Jesus' name, amen.